three promises I'm asking us to bank our faith on today. Three promises that are echoed throughout the pages of Scripture. Three promises that flow from the heart and the mouth of God today. Promise number one, I am coming to you. Number two, I came for you. And number three, I am with you. These promises echo throughout all of Scripture. I'm coming to you. And throughout most of Scripture, this was pointing to a Messiah who was coming. It's a future hope. Something God still echoes to us today, speaks to us today. I am coming to you. And this could be tomorrow. This could be when Jesus comes back to make all things right. A promise of I came for you, which is a reminder that Jesus did come, that God has stepped into human history to transform it forever. It's a promise that God has accomplished something in and through Jesus. And promise number three, I am with you. This is Emmanuel, God with us. There's not a moment in our lives that God leaves us alone. This is a promise. And one of these promises may be something you need to spend a little time with today. And maybe one of these three is something you need to share with a family member or friend this week. As I reflect back on the year uh, writing, this is my last sermon of the year. I won't be here uh, this next week. But I've thought a lot about all that we've accomplished this year, uh, all that we have lost this year. I've, I, it was almost, it was a little emotional writing this message, thinking about all that God has brought us through. I remember back in March and April when the pandemic first hit, I remember uh, just a lot of prayer time with God, of God, we're in crisis and I need you to give me the strength. I want you to help me be the le kind of leader you want me to be. And I remember just hearing from God, just reminders of, Josh, I've called you to be an ambassador of hope. You're a, an igniter of faith. This is what I've created you to do. But I also felt God speaking over me, reminding me that salvation for people isn't my responsibility that everyone's emotional well-being and spiritual well-being, your overall well-being is not, doesn't, doesn't rest on my shoulders, but that I do have a part to play in this. And I, at no point this year have I wanted to be a living contradiction in which I step up to say one thing on Sunday morning, but I'm not trying to live it out or practice it in my own life. So I've tried to model someone who is both wrestling with God, someone who is trying to take seriously my faith and trying to follow Jesus in a season where it's, just, it's been chaotic some. I consider it one of the greatest honors of my life to be a church leader and to be the preacher of the Sycamore View Church. There's a story, it's one of my favorite stories to tell around this time of year. It's a woman named Mary Clark who lived in Southern California she lived, she was a blonde-headed woman living in Beverly Hills, and some people would say she was living the life. She had been married twice, divorced twice, seven children, and at the age of 44, she had a conversion experience. The grace of God came upon her in a way that awakened her to the greatness of Jesus, and this conversion experience caused her, led her to make some big lifestyle changes. She became a nun, and as she read the Bible, and as she read about freedom in Christ, she, sh she saw uh, throughout the Bible God's love for the prisoner and how God wants to set people free. So she devoted her life to prison ministry, not just any prison ministry. She ended up crossing the border, going into Tijuana, where she began serving a prison that's one of the, had some of the most notorious prisoners in all of Mexico, around 6,000 inmates, drug dealers, murderers. These were some of what people would consider to be the worst of the worst. She began serving there in 1977. 
In the year 2008, after serving in this place for 30 years, she crossed the border to go visit family in Southern California. And when she did, a riot broke out in that prison. And the riot, they, they said there were bullets flying everywhere. Um, so they shut off the electricity. They called in the feds. So they're bringing in the professionals to go and try to clean this stuff up, try to shut the thing down. And um, Mother Antonia, Mary Clark, crossed the border, and she asked for them to send her in instead. Now, Mother Antonia was a woman who every day would go up and down the hallways of this prison and whenever they would hear her coming up and down the hallways they would reach outside of their cells just to touch her to have her touch their hands she would study scripture offer words of encouragement pray for these people she had been doing this for over 30 years but if you were in charge of trying to stop a riot are you going to send in the trained professionals or are you going to send in an 80 year old nun she talked them into it, and they sent her in. And she went into the prison, and she got down on her knees, and she began to plead with the inmates to stop. And the moment they heard her voice, they dropped all their guns, and there was peace. And my favorite part of the story is the reason that all of this happened. The reason they had so much respect for Mother Antonia is that for over 30 years, at the end of her day, after she had walked up and down hallways and had prayed with people and studied the Bible and offered, offered words of encouragement, she didn't go out to the parking lot, get in her car, drive to her neighborhood where she slept in her own bed in a, in a house. At the end of every day, she would go, go down a hallway in that prison and she would turn into her own cell where she had chosen to live for over 30 years because she knew if she wanted to make a difference in those people's lives... She had to live among them. She had to live among them. I knew that the mission of God and the compassion and benevolence of God isn't just dropping off a warm meal once a year or occasionally dropping down some token or expression of love and, and grace. That if God wanted to impact the world, God had to become human. That Jesus came and stepped into our world to live among us. Jesus came and became like us, entered into, into a world where Jesus could feel pain, where Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, lives a life, where he came just like us to redeem everything, everything around us. And Jesus was part of a story, a story that is still unfolding. And if you begin reading your Bible, especially the Gospels in Matthew 1 or in the, in the Gospel of Luke, you come across these genealogies, which happen sometimes throughout the Bible. I'm always really careful when I talk to people who don't know the Bible very well or they aren't too familiar with faith, but they want somewhere where they can start reading. I'm always really careful if I tell people, just start with the New Testament, because I know that the New Testament begins with Matthew chapter 1, and Matthew chapter 1, for the first few paragraphs, is this genealogy. It's just somebody had this son, and that person had this son, and, it, and it's just all these names. And if you don't know the Bible, and you don't know the story of God, and you start reading in the Gospel of Matthew, just a few paragraphs in, you're wondering, is this going anywhere? Like, it's just a bunch of people who had kids, and, and I want something of depth. It starts out with a genealogy. And I try to encourage people, genealogies are meaningful because it lets people know Jesus wasn't just some idea God had around 2,000 years ago. Jesus was part of a story that had been unfolding 
It was part of God's redemption story that went back hundreds and hundreds of years. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew's genealogy, is, he tells it through the story of Joseph. In Luke chapter 3, the genealogy is told through the genealogy of Mary. Both of them letting you know Jesus is part of a larger story. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy, if you were reading through that, you would see that there are four different places where a female name is given. And just like today, in a lot of genealogy stories, it's told through the male of the household. They carry on the lineage, and that's how it would have been in the Bible. So if you were reading the Bible or hearing or listening to the Gospel of Matthew, and you saw the names of women appearing, you would have noticed. And these aren't the kind of names or people that you would expect in a genealogy. The first woman you see in Matthew chapter 1, her name was Tamar. You can find her story in Genesis chapter 37. And, and Tamar had a messy life. She had been married twice. Both of those husbands had died. Her father-in-law just stranded her, left her, hung her out to dry. And it's a story of a lot of deception. Tamar ends up getting pregnant by her father-in-law because a father-in-law thought she was a prostitute. And, and it's a story of shattered hope, of shattered dreams. Like it's a story that's not going to be told on Hallmark. This is like a Jerry Springer special. Where Tamar, they're about to kill her because they think she's a prostitute. Now she's pregnant and she's like, well, I think we need to play a game so everybody knows who the real father of my child is. And it ends up being her father-in-law. A story that's so messed up, shattered hope. The next name you, see, name you see is a woman named Rahab who was a prostitute. And we don't know if she was a prostitute by choice. Most likely she, it was a forced occupation. And no matter how she became a prostitute, I think it's safe to say that she's a woman who probably had very little self-worth. Yet her eyes were open to see the movement of God, and sometimes it's desperate people whose eyes can see deliverance or deliverance that needs to happen. And Rahab, even though she was a Canaanite, which means that she was an enemy of the people of God, she becomes a, a very important part of deliverance, a, a deliverance story that happens in the book of Joshua. And then you have a woman named Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabite, which means she was also a part of a people who were known as the enemies of God. And Ruth was an immigrant widow. And Ruth is a beautiful story, a beautiful story of God's kindness, of human kindness, of human love, of the love and kindness between a mother and a mother-in-law. It's a love story. I think Ruth would be a Hallmark movie today. It's a great ending. It's a really good story. And then you see a name pop up of Uriah's wife. This would have been Bathsheba. And the way this story goes is David, in a moment of lust, sees Bathsheba and decides to pursue her. So having slept with Bathsheba, Bathsheba becomes pregnant with King David's baby, even though her husband is out at war. And some people, and, and a lot of us in churches, we've talked about this as a story of adultery or infidelity, but there are some who make compelling arguments today that this is not just a story of adultery, that this would probably be a hashtag me too story today, where David abuses his power. Bathsheba may not have had any choice in the matter. And David ends up having her husband killed, and then after Bathsheba has a baby, her baby dies. So within 12 months, Bathsheba loses both her husband and an infant. Can you imagine the grief in her life? 
the grief, the loss. This is a story that, this would be like an HBO movie of how this plays out. So you have four women. And in those days, in Bible times, I mean, to be a woman, if you wanted safety and security in your life, you needed to be married and you needed some children. And here are four women who were single and vulnerable. Somehow, even Bathsheba, there's a moment, just single and vulnerable. Yet they're part of the genealogy of Jesus. Now, we could do some of the same stuff with some of the men in the genealogy of Jesus who had drama and a past, but the genealogy goes to tell you that there's drama in the lives of so many people, but God looks at drama, and God can see opportunity, and God can see redemption. And Jesus came to save immigrant widows like Ruth, and Jesus came to save women and men and people who considered themselves outsiders and insiders. Jesus came to redeem all things. Anne Voskamp, in one of her books, she says it like this. She says, The family tree of Christ startlingly notes not one woman but four. Four broken women, women who felt like outsiders, like has-beens, like never-beens, women who were weary of being taken advantage of, of being unnoticed and uncherished and unappreciated, women who didn't fit in, who didn't know how to keep going, what to believe, where to go, women who had thought about giving up. And Jesus claims exactly these who are wondering and wondering and wounded and worn out as his. He grafts you into his line and his story and his heart, and he gives you his name, his lineage, his righteousness. Amen? There's a movie I think about every December, and I confess, I don't think about this movie because I think of it as a Christmas movie because it's not. So this isn't me trying to make some argument like Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's the movie Castaway. I think about it every December. And I'm not mad. Castaway's not a Christmas movie. There's nothing about the birth of Jesus in there at all. Castaway is a movie with Tom Hanks. Came out almost a, a couple of decades ago. I didn't live in Memphis at the time, but I don't know what it was like for some of you in Memphis and Shelby County to see a, a movie that was based on a guy from Memphis, a FedEx plane that goes down, which at the time, I don't think there had been a FedEx plane crash the way it crashes in the movie, of, and FedEx was, was okay with this. I didn't think it was negative publicity. But the movie ends up with Tom Hanks, who's in a plane crash. He survives. He ends up stranded on an island. The guy, who, the screenwriter for the movie, before they even started filming, he went and lived. He stranded himself on an island just to see what it was like. He wanted to write from that perspective. So within a few days, he had to teach himself how to spear fish and spear stingrays and try to find fresh, clean water to drink. So, so it's impacted by the story of a guy's, at least a, a short adventure of his. Survivor, the TV show, is just coming out. Lost hadn't happened yet. Lost was inspired by the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks in the movie is stranded on an island, and at the time it was a record for how many minutes went by in a movie without human interaction. Tom Hanks goes almost 50 minutes in the movie without interacting with another human being. You've got to be a really good actor, actress, to go that long with no human interaction and keep people entertained. 
So in the movie, Tom Hanks becomes friends with the volleyball that he named Wilson. And I think those of us who watched Castaway at first were like, this is the cheesiest thing ever. But when that volleyball is lost, you shed tears just like me. Am I right? That volleyball was sold for an auction after the movie was released for $18,000. I have it in my office if y'all want to come see it after, <laughs> after church today. <laughs> in the movie, Tom Hanks' character loses hope. After being stranded for a few years, just lost hope, was done. Attempted to take his own life, but failed. He was in a place of hopelessness. Didn't think he could ever get off. He tried. It just didn't work. And then one day, something washed up on shore. And it was the side of a porta potty So next time you go into one of those places, look at the wall and think, one day, this may save my life. <laughs> Washes up on shore, and he ends up using this as a a sail for his raft to get over the barrier reef so he could get out to sea, which finally he was able to do it. And out at sea, another boat found him, and he was able to reconnect with with, uh, community. He was able to be saved. And I think if some of you today, in person, virtual, listening on a podcast, that you may describe your life as if you're on an island of hopelessness, thinking that dreams have been shattered, that maybe you have already experienced life as good as it's going to get. It's like you've just hit a dead end. Like it's, it, I'm just at a dead end. Like it, wh- where do we go from here? But with God, you never know what may wash up on shore. And it doesn't matter what kind of drama is in the past of your life or your family or the church or our world. It's not too much for God. And this is a season that reminds us we are a part of a story that has happened in a story that is still unfolding. So these promises continue to ring true. Where God is speaking to us, reminding us, I'm coming to you. I have come. I am with you. And fourthly, that God is for the world. That the good news of Jesus coming into the world is not just good news for you. It's good news for everyone. And the church gets to play our role in announcing this to the world. I want to encourage you that some of you, there are things in your life that do not need to go into a new year with you. For some of you, there's some decisions you need to make as you move into a new year. And maybe some of you know the decisions that are in front of you. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've not repented of your sin. You've not confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life. Maybe you've never been baptized. You know those steps. It's just a matter of you acting upon them. And if you do not know how to move into this relationship with God and what God is inviting you into. You can fill out a connect card online, talk to one of us. We would love the opportunity to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And for some of you, there are unhealthy allegiances, forms of idolatry. There are emotions that do not need to go into a new year with you. And may this be a day and a few days of reflection that we can go into a new year brand new. Will you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. God, we bring to you all the drama of our lives. 
it's not too much for you. And God, there's somebody listening right now who just needs to know that your hands are wide open to take from us whatever it is that's weighing us down in life. We thank you, God, that you're a God of abundance, yet you don't hoard all of your good gifts. You dispense them. And in this season, we, we think a lot about gifts and generosity and open up our hands and our hearts to receive more of you. I lift up my friends. I lift up this church. All those listening, may we become less, may Jesus become more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.